Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. This is Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Today is our latest episode of our series Chat about Geopolitics and Trade, or Chat GPT, with guest presenter Punit Oza, founder of Maritime NXT. Punit is going to be talking to Captain Supang Hang Shu Dutt, director of OM Maritime. You will hear from Captain Dutt about his first experience of geopolitics impacting shipping some 50 years ago. And then, can you guess which third country, thousands of miles away, shipments from India to Pakistan were moved from to avoid trade embargoes? And you'll also hear about modern-day examples of shipping and trade patterns shifting due to geopolitical events. Now with that, I'd like to hand over to Punit. Thank you so much, Marcus, and welcome to another episode on chat about geopolitics and trade, as I call it, my chat GPT. It's a pleasure to have Captain Subhangshu Dutt as our guest today. Captain Subhangshu Dutt is someone I have known since the last 15 to 16 years since I've been here in Singapore. And today he's the executive director of OM Maritime owning company, and obviously he has been involved in the shipping for decades. It's a pleasure to speak to you, Captain Dutt. You've been involved earlier with uh, Krishna Patnam Port, with Pacific Shipping Trust, with uh, even being a past board member of Singapore Indian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, um, SIKI. And it's great pleasure to always talk to you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Puneet, and thanks, uh, Marcus. Indeed, yes, I'm really happy to to be here and share with you the, the string of work experiences that I've been through. Uh, yes, so I hope we come up with some some really relevant stuff at the end of the interview. Thank you so much. Uh, and for the listeners who don't know, Captain Dutt is also on the current exco of the Institute of Chartership Brokers Singapore branch. He has been the past chairman. I am the vice chairman of the current branch. So obviously, it's a, it's a long relationship that we've had. But interestingly, he has also been teaching for many years at the Singapore Management University, the students on the maritime and shipping business space. So again, this is something that is a special podcast, which we also want to reach out to the students. So Captain, the first question that I wanted to ask you was about geopolitics in general. How do you see from your own vast experience, geopolitics pervading every single shipping and trade aspect and and what kind of examples can you piece together from your amazing career in terms of how geopolitics has actually affected decision making and even trade and shipping in general that would be really nice to have your fascinating insight on this my so-called long career in the industry uh, i can go back to some global events yeah which uh, which um, um, if we look back in retrospect, yes, had uh, had a tremendous impact on shipping. So about the time I started sailing, which is about 50 years odd now, 50 plus years, um, there was this Arab-Israeli war, okay, call it the seven-day war, uh, whatever. Post that war, the Suez Canal got closed, 1973, um, and it was closed for almost three years. Uh, if I recollect. Uh, So for those three years, you can imagine what happened to shipping. Every every service, I mean, we we used to work for SCI, an Indian company. So all the services went round the Cape to Europe, to the US, 
I don't think we had the tools then to sort of uh, simulate the effect. But those were the good years when every sector of shipping went berserk, went through the roof, primarily because of demand. Yes. So, so that was my first experience of geopolitics. I didn't really understand very much then, except <laughs> that, that the, num the number of days we will not get letters from home will be much longer. Um, but that was it, yeah. And then we moved on. I, I uh, became an officer and then um, worked with the... Uh, worked with what was Singapore's national line, uh, sailed with them, which, which which of course no longer exists. But then we also saw uh, very very visible examples of geopolitics. Uh, um, uh, country, uh, rather South Africa itself, used to back then have the policy of apartheid. Okay, obviously the Western nations and and the United States um, banned all trade with South Africa because of the apartheid policy, but I don't think um, South Africa would be deprived of its um, oil and whatever. So um, happily, a lot of shipping companies uh, were doing it under whatever, under the veil of secrecy. Uh, thank God uh, we didn't have social media then. So things were <laughs> things could be kept reasonably, uh, reasonably confidential. So so that was my, my second um, um experience with geopolitics uh, again we didn't really describe it as geopolitics but one realized that a trade goes on you know regardless of all the restrictions being put in place well this is interesting Kevnath. before you go further um, you know trade doesn't exist in a vacuum is something that one of our guests Khalid the Hashim mentioned that somehow trade finds a way did you actually see that the kind of trade flows into South Africa the countries which were trading with South Africa were either crisscrossing through other friendly countries, new trade flows were opening up because of the fact that people had to circumvent uh, certain spaces to get to South Africa. Is that something that you can actually um, see, uh, you know, bringing you to the present day, uh, that you can see that in Iranian example today or other places as well, where you actually see that the countries are still trading with those so-called sanctioned countries or, or countries which are under sanctions, but they obviously are circumventing or, or moving it through a new route. Is that something which you have always seen happen? And would South Africa be in a similar bracket as Iran today, for example? Okay, <laughs> that's a very loaded <laughs> question. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, back then, being the master of the ship, one couldn't really have access to what else is happening. Uh, this is a tanker. I again, breaching confidentiality after 50, 40 years, I guess, doesn't matter <laughs> anymore. Uh, but this was crude oil. <laughs> so uh, the emphasis on um, petroleum was much more. I, what you're, I guess you're right that the container trade or the general cargo trade moved in through adjacent countries like Mozambique, etc. And they were not sensitive commodities. So Oil was definitely so. They obviously made a lot of effort in disguising the documents, etc. Moving on, yes, more and more countries have these sanctions, either bilateral sanctions or or otherwise. Uh, what I've really witnessed was was of course we India and Pakistan, the two neighbors, and and then we were with the IL that time, so we were serving both countries. But what was happening was. No, trade was not permitted between India and Pakistan. 
direct trade bit direct trade was which, which is yeah. uh, which is ridiculous because each of the countries has so much to offer to the other you just cross the road and you're there in in the next country but it was prohibited so we had cases where um, an indian export to pakistan um, four or five containers we used to load them bring it to singapore uh, switch documents and ship it back to pakistan which could have gone across in two hours across the border you know this this is so fascinating uh, kemdat I, i i one of the topics that i i discuss is the there is actually a report i don't know whether i can send it to you separately but it's actually an interesting report which says that good neighbors and good neighborly relations are actually very bad for trade so so this is a classic example that um, you know india and pakistan basically working through singapore it's fascinating yeah please go ahead yeah great great example great example yeah so you are right if countries and not only countries the, the people within the countries or the companies want to trade with each other because trader is very sharp uh, a businessman he knows the right commodity at the right price is available at this country but the government regulations don't uh, permit it so india china is another example um, when the trade opened up it really accelerated to such volume that at one point within 3 or 4 years china had become india's biggest trading partner Correct. so you're but, right but relationships are not all that rosy still but i i think some government sees some sensibility that look if trade is permitted the whole whole population benefits because they get their commodities and goods at the right price and and they are able to to some extent avoid inflation or rising prices so yeah i i agree with you that even if relationships aren't that good some to some extent trade should be permitted of course then the security people come in that what do we know what's coming in etc so so that's uh, uh, that is the visible examples i've seen of of uh, geopolitics and trade affecting geopolitics very interesting captain kemdat uh, and and one follow up question from this is one of the things that i have noticed and which i am trying to imbibe through the, the course as well as through these podcast is to try and bring geopolitics front and center when it comes to trade and shipping why do you think and and do you actually feel yourself that um the mainstream media be it the financial newspapers and 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 other uh, publications don't really highlight um, a lot of the trade aspects when they talk about geopolitics you know when you have news headlines in financial times they mostly deal with economic news they deal a lot with the political news sometimes they deal with personalities as well but they don't really talk about how trade gets impacted you know the impact of china on on the african countries or even the brics expansion or the brics plus now there's not a lot of discussion about trade um, why is it that that doesn't really come on the forefront as a decision maker today having your own ships being a part of a pool do you actually see that discussion being front and center on geopolitics when it comes to decision making and shipping and how do you see that going forward because that will be very interesting for us to focus on as well which is what our podcast is trying to look at um, so if your views on this can be very interesting for us okay thank uh, okay first i'll i'll try and reply you in the very broad context globally the media yes they don't they don't um, quantify the trade volumes and all which which would be very relevant even not not just to the trading community to the common man a very good example is the trump era which was coinciding with the covid etc so uh, during the trump 
presidency, he imposed the maximum number of uh, trade barriers on China, uh, be it in quantity, be it in tariff, uh, uh, etc. Uh, but the trade statistics show that the trade volume between the two countries increased, or rather, it's mostly China into the US, increased yes, exponentially, partly due to the lockdown in COVID, work from home, where people were importing all kinds of monitors and, and those self-elevating desks and chairs. <laughs> so the, the quantity of trade really um, zoomed during that, uh, that period. So um, obviously... And, and the only thing that the Americans did was pay more money because of the tariffs, basically. Possibly, yes, yes, yes. And, and, <laughs> and of course, the, and as well as the um, container shipping rates also shot up. So <laughs> they, they got a double blow, double whammy on, on, on that. Yeah. So that is, um, that's globally. So I, I think, uh, I, I, even India and China, they are at loggerheads all the time. But the trade volumes are, are very impressive. Um, at least with the India China it's a bit more balanced so so that is uh, uh, that is there um, another example which you may have experienced probably in your cloudness days is this sudden Australian reaction uh, Chinese reaction to Australian imp uh, imports of everything um, um, some of it seemed irrational while carriers with iron ore coal came in and were waiting for 50 60 days I don't know who or whether they got paid the damages in the end. Or not, yeah. <laughs> so that was what I agree. Mm. I, I agree. Those are good examples. And, yeah. and obviously, interesting to hear about current views that you have. Obviously, with your ships now, how do you how do you incorporate geopolitics into decision making, Captain Dutt? Okay. Um, again, yes, the, that is something we are facing firsthand at uh, on our ships now. Uh, we operate them in the pool. In the pool. Okay, they are uh, they toe the line. Because of the sensitivity being being um, Danish owned, some of our ships are U.S. financed by U.S. funds, so that makes it more complicated. Now, the pool may have a broader view of the sanctions, but because we are U.S. funded, they say specifically that no, you can't even call Russia. We say, for example, edible oil. Edible oil is not a sanctioned commodity, but the U.S. says no because of this. The freight would probably come in from a Russian-linked company. So depending at which point of the value chain one is in, one gets more affected. For the tanker owners specifically, they have had very many bad years until 21. So for them not to have the opportunity to make, not profit really, just to recover their losses of the past years is, 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 is really very, um, very depressing then that if they, they can't make up for the losses they have incurred yeah that is that is actually true and and obviously uh, it is again a mix of uh, economic geopolitical and even geoeconomic factors that you come into it what i would also like to understand uh, given your experience earlier with uh, previous companies as well as uh, the pool that you are having the ships in is there a lot of technology today which is available, information? You mentioned social media. You mentioned a lot of other technological value chains which comes in. Uh, does that help you manage this geopolitical risk? Predicting where um, the, the potential challenges exist? How do you comply with these challenges? Is it easier today with technology to manage these geopolitical risks? Maybe some examples would help if possible. Firstly, coming to technology, it is being used... Um, not just by us, 
but people who are trying to oversee the sanctions to some extent yeah they are private entities but they try and give you first hand updated reports by pulling up data from all these um, ais operators uh, and then analyzing it and then giving much uh, drill down information about ships or companies which are probably evading sanctions they are able to identify ship to ship operations which could be carried out by a suspected vessel they have even gone to the extent of suspected cargoes which which really we are we are totally at a loss there's no way you can determine that cargo has a suspected origin you know you could probably trace the ship so it is to some extent because not all the information is accurate it works against the ship owner so you need to again again use the same technology to defend yourself what these service providers are doing so i think that helps because your basic information of your port clearance your uh, ships actual track versus what they perceive the track to be um, so we are using that keep abreast of you never know when when a, when a charge could be particularly being in the tanker trade operating in the arabian gulf you you could you could get sucked in inadvertently into any of these um, uh, so called uh, mistaken um, identities yes yes and that 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 is it yeah so uh, again i i may not be able to answer your question in totality because we do a lot of edible oil trade which is not the same as petroleum production absolutely no i got that and i i thank you for your answer i i will now move on to one topic where both of us are closely involved which is uh, the institute of charlotte ship brokers and the smu where we are teaching um this is a place or this is a area where i am very keen to kind of connect with the audience especially the students so especially when it comes to things like institute of charter ship brokers uh, you know th- there is a constant need to update the syllabus with regard to smu because we have lectures we obviously are able to add additional um, uh, material based on the current uh, updates as such but obviously with the books being uh, outdated in some cases we need to add in additional value how do you see geopolitical developments and lessons from geopolitical aspects being incorporated into education both in where you teach at the smu and how you look at for example teaching at the ics where you are a tutor as well as me how do we incorporate this more how do we actually create more value and awareness of it any thoughts on this would be very interesting for us to maybe even act upon going forward kapnath uh, mm. uh, yeah punit your point is very relevant because it relates to what is happening present day for students also you know the the textbook cannot keep abreast of everything whereas uh, what's happening present day and um, it it may not be in the syllabus but uh, it is so relevant uh, in in smu it's the iti um international trading institute who are uh, running our program for them it is even more relevant because they would after graduation join the trading companies like uh, like glencore or trafigura or coach or you know so i think these examples which you have quoted in your uh, Uh, some of your cases in clavness or, or even these uh, thing about the containers moving between india and pakistan uh, would uh, would be 
fascinating for them that you know these things happen as a as a as a reaction to geopolitics so we should we uh, and teaching by example is probably the best way because it penetrates uh, immediately and and it, it it sort of etched into their memory yeah, and yeah so uh, coming to the institute yeah they um, you you know you just mentioned that in the smu we have the um, uh, flexibility and the freedom to uh, keep updating the syllabus every term sometimes i i have to do it you know um, like i was telling them a, a, a very interesting example this was just happened at the start of covid um, um, those those huge container ships used to transit the Suez Canal. Um, each each one cost something like a co three quarter million dollars just to beat uh, uh, Suez Canal toll. So a few things happened uh, about two months into COVID. Fuel prices collapsed because air travel was totally gone. China manufacturing stopped. So I, I can't remember which it was a CMA or a ONE vessel uh, coming down from Europe on its way back to Far East. Um, it should have turned into Gibraltar and through the Mediterranean. Uh, the owner saw that, look, um, there's no cargo uh, when the ship reaches back to China. Uh, fuel prices are down. I think took an instantaneous decision. No, forget it. Why pay three quarter million dollars? Let's go around the Cape. We st uh, we uh, will consume the same value in bunkers because bunkers have become so cheap. So uh, you know, it, it, it's it shows how dynamic our, our industry is, you know, in, in shipping. Absolutely, and, and opportunities are immensely uh, available uh, across if people are actually aware aware of these uh, changes that are happening around us. And uh, I think uh, I think you're very right. Uh, so basically, what you're saying is that three quarter of a million dollars worth of bunkers were consumed, and you were no better off than what you were otherwise, basically. Because you have to take these decisions very fast. So to be able to do that itself shows how dynamic our industry is. So uh, your second part of the question was the Institute of Chartered Ship Brokers. Yes, um, we've been members so long and and we see that um, really something needs to be done for all the subjects, books. I keep saying, I mean, I've told the ETC and, and the head office earlier that the first, way, first reference or guide to change is the, the book should mirror, mirror the industry. Exactly. Then it becomes much more, much easier to know what is, needs to be replaced, what needs to be put in. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. And eventually, I think that the the, the idea will have to create a digital book at the end of the day. I mean, you need to have a book which which cannot be paper uh, centric. It has to be because the pace at which uh, you know I've been teaching the geopolitics course now for a few years and. I need to sometimes change the material halfway through the course um, because <laughs> because something goes on and happens and, and obviously changes are all the time interesting. So it's very, very interesting. A final point now that we, we're basically coming now to uh, uh, the end of the, uh, the podcast, but I wanted you to just share some views for the students because I always end the podcast with a request for our guests to talk a little bit about what you feel the future really holds for the maritime industry for the students and the young ones who are coming into the industry, what should be their focus? What could be some tips that they can actually take away from your experience, your knowledge, and something that you think they should focus on, which can help them prosper and do better in the industry? So just a few tips, maybe with regard to what to look out for or what to maybe avoid as well. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, uh, you know, with, without being too critical, I, 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 
tell the students that look please please uh, <laughs> look up from your mobile phone and and see what's what's happening just listen to the news um, um, whatever bbc and read read the headlines of the newspapers every day it'll take you about between 5 to 10 minutes and then you'll have a better grasp what's happening outside you know uh, the ukraine war russia war how it is affecting um, stuff you don't have to drill down too much but it will give you a fair idea us sanctions on on venezuela they can't export their oil and then once you read that then you start thinking especially if you are doing things like the iti codes or if you are if you are a student doing the ics exams because these relate to what you are doing so the, the, yeah simple spend about uh, 10 minutes reading the newspaper or then uh, listening to the news and that's it absolutely and and obviously the sea trade maritime podcasts and, and during yes, these and ones are interesting <laughs> as well because now the beauty is the, the the ability to just listen on when you are in you know when you're traveling when you're when you're moving you don't really need to worry about you know getting access to the 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 information at any point of time you can get them uh, even when you're flying now you can get your internet up and ready you can actually listen to a lot of things so i think that's very good advice that news uh, and geography are two things which i always believe have helped me in this maritime industry so it's great to see a validation from your side i would love to really really thank you captain dat it is always a pleasure talking to you and thank you so much for gracing and coming as a guest on the podcast thank you so much thank, thank you for it and again yeah i'm honored to be here especially after mr khalid yes so i i, I feel elevated <laughs> <laughs> well you're right there in the same category thank you so much kemda all the very best and lovely talking to you thank you captain dot and put it that is all we have time for this week and thank you for listening to the sea trade maritime podcast